The world of digital marketing moves at a dizzying speed. Strategies, budgets, tactics, buzzwords. How can we even begin to distinguish the signal from the noise, the good moves from the bad? Take it from the team that's tripped as much as we've triumphed. We're putting our best moves in the spotlight and spilling every secret to give you step-by-step -step instructions to steal for your own success and digitally scale your business. This is Marketing Moves. Welcome to another episode of Marketing Moves. I'm your host, Madison Rydell, president of Vividfront. Today, we're delving into an energizing entrepreneurial story with a spotlight on a wildly successful brand builder, leader, and marketer. Gerald Hetrick is a serial doer. For two decades, he has been making waves in Cleveland's startup community, following a pattern of found, scale, exit, repeat. Gerald's entrepreneurial repertoire includes founding and selling Vox Mobile, exited to Stratix, Able, exited to Bullhorn, along with serving on several boards, as well as his recent role as an EOS implementer. Today, Gerald is the CEO of a new venture with a compelling go-to-market strategy. Docket, formerly Bezlio, is a frontline operations platform built for mid-market manufacturers to streamline operations, analyze shopfloor data, and boost productivity. At the intersection of a legacy industry with deep roots regionally, manufacturing, and what many consider the future of commerce, SaaS, Docket is well positioned to dominate their category. Worth noting, I am slightly biased as our agency has worked with Gerald and his team to relaunch the brand over the last eight months or so. I'm looking forward to shedding light on Gerald's talents and tricks of the trade with all of you from hopefully a slightly different angle than he might be used to. Gerald, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Awesome. I'm pumped. All right. So, Gerald, you've been on a ton of podcasts. I listened to your most recent episode, which you recorded here with Lay of the Land, another local podcast. And no surprise, the primary focus is always your entrepreneurial story, which is very impressive. And we'll cover it. We'll kind of start there to give some context. But I want to go have the goal of exposing a different angle of you today, which is your marketing and branding prowess. I don't want to inflate your ego too much at the start of <laughs> the episode bigger. <laughs> with the intro like that. Um, but I would consider you a unicorn in a couple of ways in the startup community. I think you obviously have the traditional startup founder qualities. You have a high appetite for risk. You're a problem solver. You're, you have financial acumen, all those things that you need. Um, but in addition to that, I think you have a big emphasis on leadership, which is rare to me as a startup uh, founder. And you also have a badass approach to marketing. So to me, that's like the, the trifecta, and I really want to talk about that a lot. But as a backdrop, let's just start with your background first. Take us through Vox Mobile. Do now. Wow. Okay. So those are a lot of really nice adjectives in that intro about <laughs> me. Not sure how many of those are true, but I appreciate it. Uh, and thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. I am. I did a... Uh, was in this room here recently doing another podcast, although I was in the other chair, so the aesthetics are different this we'll time. We'll see so. which one's your good Yeah, time. right, right, right. <laughs> so, wow, um, the past 25 years or so, I've been a blur here in Cleveland. Um, I actually did a couple, I was interviewing a couple potential sales role candidates for Docket yesterday, and they were asking me about my story, and I was telling the story and telling it a couple different ways. And it's fresh. Yeah, I, well, yeah, and it's, I'm not sure if I'm sad about how much time's gone by or if I'm excited because it gives me like the propulsion or the you know, context to do to do the next things, you know, a little bit better, but it's been, been a fun ride. So yeah, I mean, I've spent most of my career, well, I literally all of my career 
supporting, building, living inside of kind of entrepreneurial or growth oriented businesses here in Cleveland. I mm-hmm. didn't, I didn't have, I didn't spend much time in college. I was at John Carroll for just a brief period of time. I graduated from Cleveland Public Schools, and I immediately went to work. You know, early teenage years, and my first, you know. I was at MCPC when they were founded, and uh, got to got to see a lot of great people do great things there. Helped to build a couple of the you know the the, the technology practices there. But my first real, you know, kind of um, true take the risk, write the checks. Right. Um, uh, part of uh, entrepreneurship was was Vox Mobile. Um, I was invited by Chris Snyder. Chris is the was the COO and CTO at MCPC. Mm-hmm. I worked there. Um, I was invited by him uh, to kind of co-found uh, and launch Vox. And so we we went through the whole process of you know, building a business plan and acquiring some of the assets outside of, uh, you know, from, from MCPC and started this like super risky, but exciting endeavor. That was, that was Vox. And we, I spent 10 years there kind of full-time operating that business, a COO, um, you know, hired incredible people, met incredible people. We did wonderful things. We built a really strong business, learned a lot of tough lessons, Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of, you know, had a lot of great times. After about 10 years, I left and moved to a board role and went and co-founded what was then called Employee Stream. Okay. So Employee Stream was the brainchild of a guy named Aaron Grossman um, and uh, and a a partner of his inside of his business, um, Rob Sable. So they they, they were executives at a large regional staffing agency called Talent Launch. Um, they had this notion that they could improve the candidate experience by giving them tools during the onboarding process. They built a couple prototypes of the product, you know, got themselves as customers. A few other folks would say yes, and then brought me in to you know launch it and commercialize it. And, and so, what year was that? Was this before the big HR tech boom, or were you is, guys in the thick of that? Uh, it was twenty late twenty sixteen, early okay. twenty seventeen. So I think we're kind of in the thick of it. Although we did go to I went to HR Tech, the actual conference in Vegas the next year, and realized how much we were not an HR tech company. Uh-huh. You know, um, huh. you know, we were we were much more of a kind of a candidate experience company inside of a niche ecosystem like staffing. Okay. So anyway, did that for five years. We had a wonderful opportunity to exit to Bullhorn. Bullhorn is a private equity back, you know, the, the leader in uh, applicant tracking systems and other technologies inside of the domestic staffing space, as well as Europe and some other places. Wonderful organization, great company. They acquired us almost two years ago now, which is just crazy to think. It feels like only two years ago to yeah, me in knowing yeah. you the last year. And then, you know, I, I um, you know, in the last two years, I've done a lot of things. I've joined some boards. I've done a lot of coaching and consulting of other other local entrepreneurs. Um, I bought an EOSI franchise mm-hmm. um, to kind of formalize how I was going to approach my, 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 my side gig consulting. And then was in, uh, was again invited in by the investors and you know leadership team at Bezlio to kind of help them refresh and relaunch Bezlio. Bezlio was a great local startup that you know was struggling a bit with traction. Mm-hmm. Um, they had everything they needed had the had the had the a giant market a problem um, and some really talented people and I think they just needed some fresh perspective on how to do it. And so we've spent, as you know, because you guys have been you know the wonderful partners for us. We've spent much of the last year relaunching that business super happy to have it launched as uh you know as docket mm-hmm. uh, i think last week now now we uh, can talk about it yeah right so um it's funny we were recruiting people and you know recruiting customers and all along the way we, we weren't talking about the brand or what the, the 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 end goal was and so now we're now we're out in the open and so yeah that's a i guess that's a compressed v- version of my story and i'm sorry if it's watered down or if it's not energetic i just did it so much yesterday no that I'm like, please yeah. it's perfect i think there's i mean a million ways that we can go with that Backing up just a little bit, it seems like there's a pattern of what your interests are. You're looking to kind of go into either legacy industries or maybe industries that need to be shaken up a little bit with tech. Why is that the pattern for you? Why tech? Uh, well, I mean, listen, it, it wasn't – it was accidental. I mean, I you know, I, I had no idea what I was going to do in my senior year of high school. I, I, you know, I was 
fairly good at school. And so I had opportunities at different colleges and I was had opportunities at jobs, but I, you know, I was just kind of super open-minded to like, I'll just go where the world takes me type thing. Mm -hmm. And I got hired inside of a company called Dreher Business Products, which was one of the companies that were that made up MCPC um, in the late nineties. And I got hired inside of the computer technology lab to move boxes in and out in like a 30 day summer job. Wow. Literally my girl, my high school girlfriend's father hired me because um, I needed a job for a couple of weeks and it was like a temporary thing. And as I was, the first time I'd ever seen computers, it's like 1997. So I didn't really know much about computers. I never really used one. And then they were short people and they're like, hey, you know, can you help us build these computers? And so I was putting memory cards in them and doing all this stuff. Oh, and I'm like, wow. oh, I kind of like this. And then yeah. started playing with software. And I, I, I quickly realized I had, I had an acumen for thing, all things technology, fell in love with the notion of, you know, being part of a big changing, you know, industry, um, which was tech. And so my career just ended up there. Okay. The, the, uh, attraction of legacy businesses is just that, like I, I, I am, I've realized I'm obsessed with growth. Um, I just love building things, mm -hmm. you know, whether it was you know, opening my, with me and my daughter's opening Lego kits and trying to build them faster than they think we they think they should be built. Or I just like, Every to, dad loves Legos. yeah, I just like to go fast and, um, I like to build stuff and I like to, I like a challenge and, um, but yeah, my last, you know, you know, Vox Mobile was a mobile technology management company, um, serving all sorts of industries, but we were really kind of at the forefront of mobility being a, being a tech tech, you know, revolution inside of businesses right. and, you know, able slash, slash employee, employee stream was a market. We, we made the market for, for onboarding inside of staffing and, um, and Besley was all about, you know, selling great shop floor operations software to, to manufacturing companies. So I just, I, I love it. I love the notion that we can make a big difference, that we can actually affect real users, um, that people can, you know, do their job better, maybe enjoy their job a little bit more with technology that they haven't seen before. I love that mantra. And I think it's, it's manifested itself a lot into the docket brand, which we're going to spend a ton of time on. But thinking about Able for a minute and looking through that marketing lens, what were your priorities there? What were you doing to drive an impact at Able? So, I, like, I have this... Well, I have two kind of core ways I operate, themes and how I operate. And if you listen to me on other podcasts, you probably heard me say these because um, the first is I, I dream really big but operate very practically. Mm -hmm. um, and so, of course, I want to put a billboard on the moon and I want to, you know, build a next unicorn company. But I want to operate really practically. And, like, given, like, some of the capital constraints we have in the Midwest, I want to be super pragmatic about where we invest. And so I, I've always like wanted to invest in brand and marketing in a very um, specific kind of iterative way. And so at Able, we did that. And I, we could talk more about the story. And then the second one is, um, you know, we've got to go, you know, we've got to go really fast and the, and, and before we can slow down for, for strategy. So I like to lean into activity do a bunch of different things, figure out where you might have some leverage and then invest in that leverage. And mm -hmm. so I mashed those two things together. So at Able, you know, we came out of the gates and just said, let's listen, let's spend the first year doing nothing but acquire, trying to acquire customers. Like okay. it's going to be imperfect. You left um, the brand as is, Yeah, right? let the, yeah, let the okay. brand as is. Um, we did a little quick refresh with another local agency here. You know, this is seven years ago now, um, but mostly just left it as is. Go talk to as many customers or as many potential buyers as possible. Get as much feedback as possible. Sell some good deals, sell some bad deals. You know, takes take it on the chin a little bit, um, but just do a bunch of stuff. Mm -hmm. And then once we kind of found, you know, the opportunities for leverage, and in that case, it was that there needed to be a premium brand that cared about candidate experience on the front end of staffing operations. Then we decided to kind of invest in that leverage. And for us at Able, it was brand. I mean, we spent a lot of time and energy coming, you know, transitioning from the employee stream brand to the Able brand. 
we wanted it, you know, not just our revenue growth to be the reason why people saw us as this great growth organization, but also this emergence of great brand. And so we, you know, after about a year and a half, two years into customer acquisition is when we started thinking about brand. And so we relaunched our entire go-to-market strategy on the back of strong strategic marketing versus, you know, pure all-out activity. And we had some wonderful people. You know, Andre Miletti led sales for us there. I hired a guy named Sean Gaines, um, who was our CMO. Um, and uh, we all kind of believed in the same notion that brand could be a differentiator. And that, um, and ultimately, I think that the the evolution of our brand there and the projection of us is much larger than we were because of that yes. was one of the reasons why we, um, you know, why we got a lot of interest for, for, for exit. That's the power of digital. We talk about that all the time, yeah. especially for startups, to create that surround sound and look larger than life. And if you pick the right niche or the right targeting, you can saturate a group and make it yeah, look it's like just, you're... it's just the cover. I mean, like, of course, we're going to have, you know, sales development and we're going to have people doing outbound prospecting and all that stuff. But if you can create this, like, this cover, this umbrella of brand cover, of, of brand projection, it, it, it's, it's, it's a great help. First impression, yeah. yeah helps sure. you guys for sure. Um, so you said you guys shifted from that activity-based focus to strong marketing. Mm -hmm. What to you was strong marketing? Um, I mean, more, more targeted messaging. We, you don't, you know... The goal wasn't just to say more things about us. It was to actually have tangible outcomes. And so for us, it was driving the order size up. Mm -hmm. Okay. You know, we were raising a lot of venture money and we needed to chase down higher valuations and create returns for people at, you know, at, 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 at leverage points that were bigger than we had before. And so we needed to sell deals. We went from selling deals at ten, fifteen thousand $15,000 a year to a hundred plus thousand dollars a wow. year. So to do that, we had to get, we had to get more, you know, larger potential buyers. We had to target the buyer personas um, in a more sophisticated way such that we could compress those sales cycles um, and get, you know, not just like have someone knock on a door and build a great relationship by having some beers with someone, but like actually trying to position, find all of the, the constituents to the buying process inside of the companies and solve their problems at once. And marketing was, helped us do that. I mean, so we built messaging aimed at multiple, you know, buy points and, 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 and targeted those in a, in a specific way. And then we, we thought of all the channels, you know, you know, me now, I, I'm, I, I still about activity, <laughs> right? Let's do yes. more. You guys, every time we send a proposal, I'm like, how do I get a little bit more of that? How yeah. do I get a little bit more of that? So, um, but, but be more targeted, be more thoughtful about, you know, not, not like selling them a solution to some symptom of a problem, but finding the real problem they have oh, I love that. balancing, like, so satisfying the SEO engines with, with, with also not being too buzzwordy and saying real things like big that SEO was, guy. yeah, that was, uh, <laughs> that was a, a big, a big, um, a goal of ours, which is like, how do, how do we, how do we deliver messaging that resonates towards their real problems? Um, and then make sure our solutions could solve those problems right. and then just tell that story over and over and over again in a couple of different ways. So that, so that it would land. Well, I think on the marketing side, shifting audiences is just kind of part of the job, part for the course. You're usually testing a couple audiences, mm -hmm. a couple different types of messaging, different creative until you find the sweet spot. But I do think, and I can speak from both perspectives because I kind of sit at that intersection in our own organization between marketing and sales. I think it's a little more tricky on the sales front to just shift your perspective on who the buyer persona is. So what was that relationship between marketing and sales? Did you have both in-house or did you outsource? Uh, we outsourced a lot of marketing work, a lot of the marketing operations, we in, we, we, we insourced all the strategic decision making. Okay. And that was in direct partnership with our, with our sales approach as well. So that, the go to market strategy was weaved together really, really tightly. Good. Um, we didn't now that's mostly by nature of just how the size we were. I, it would have, of course, had some natural bifurcation that would have happened over time, you know, but we had strong, you know, we had strong strategic thinkers that, were in line with how we should go to market uh, at that point. I, I, I think there was probably a, you know, 
much like sales and operations and product and engineering, I think sales and marketing ultimately creates there's some sort of wall that create that lands there. Mm-hmm. Um, our job as leaders, topic. yeah, our job as leaders is probably to try to knock that down as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but at Able, we just we either didn't get to that point based on stage, or we just didn't have the, the major problem um, you know, based on the people we had around the table. Got it. That makes sense. So, yeah, but I, it wasn't. Let I me mean, just. It wasn't at all rainbows and unicorns. I yes, mean, there was, that's what I'm going to next. Yeah, okay, what were the yeah. challenges? Why did you leave, or why did you exit? Oh uh, well, I mean, so there's one of the most important things to, to in the math equation of how big you can build a company and what kind of outcome you can have for the shareholders and employees is market size. Mm-hmm. I love the staffing industry. In my EOS world, I have three staffing clients right now. Okay. I'm 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 talking. I'm, I'm on the board of a of a technology company that sells to staffing agencies. Some of the people that I admire the most work at Bullhorn, either former employees at Able or people that I met along the way there. I love that industry, but the reality is it's just it's just small. You know, it's a small kind of boxed in space. Yep. And if you look at the history of technology entrance and the technology exits there, unless you're going to have a um, platform that you can you can build, you know, you can solve major end to end problems with, you need to be really I needed to be really pragmatic about what our exit opportunities were. And so I knew that there was probably only a couple places we could land. Right. And I knew the right thing for our well, I I, I predicted and then I hoped the right thing for our employees, our shareholders, and our customers, probably in that order, to be honest, was that to have us go land at a larger platform that had already built the end-to-end credibility mm-hmm. um, and, and you know, it would, be the, it would be the right landing spot. So it wasn't easy. I mean, we had a, people know the story. We had a term sheet to, to raise a lot of money before the exit, and we, we balanced both those things, and it wasn't just my decision. I had a, we had quite a bit of board debate and quite a bit of, you know, strategic leader debate about it, um, but that was, right, that was the right place to go. And we didn't, you know, for us to grow a business, you know, three, four, five X what it was, we were going to need a bigger market, which means we were going to need a bigger pivot, which means we were going to leave the, you know, kind of the, the, you know, where, where we had made our hay behind, and I, I just didn't think we were we, we were really prepared to do that. Was it hard for you to let go and and move on from that? Uh, Dave Lohman, who was my is a great friend, great lo- another local kind of entrepreneurial success story. Um, he was our fractional CFO. He told me I don't know, like we we sat in a room and did diligence for ninety days straight, mm-hmm. sixty days straight. Him and I, and um, you know, it was during COVID, so like everyone was remote except for he and I went to Limelight every day in Ohio City and oh, just, nice. just yeah. pounded That's away diligence files and. Um, he told me one day when we were, I think we were having a beer at Town Hall. He's like, you know, this is, you're, you're going to miss this. I'm like, you are, like, you're insane, man. Like, what do you mean I'm going to miss this? Like, I can't, I can't wait for this to be done at this point. You know, like, um, he's like, you're going to miss it. You're going to feel lost. And I just didn't believe that. But it, it was 100% true. 90 days after the exit was probably one of my worst mental places. I wow. just, I felt like my purpose, like I was so heads down to build Able. I didn't, it wasn't anything I was like extremely attracted to. I was taking someone else's role at Bullhorn. So I had to tell them that I didn't want to stay there. And I just didn't, I, 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 I missed it completely. So, you know, getting into Docket and finding the opportunity to build again was, was obviously kind of super important to me. How'd you end up there? So, um, Abel and Docket or Beslio at the time have a lot of overlapping investors. So you're familiar with the jumpstarts mm-hmm. of the world locally and North Coast Ventures. Um, those folks are all um, with same investors at Bezlio. So uh, we were in part of the same cohort. We launched about the same time. And so when um, when I was like open with a community that I was looking for the next thing to do, some of those folks convinced me to um, to go spend some time with Brian Ellis and, and see what the business had. And, and uh, I fell in love. What did you think about shifting from HR to manufacturing? Did you have any experience in no, manufacturing? Not, no, not at all. I mean, I mean, I thought <laughs> I'd, I mean, listen, I'm a, I'm a high, you know, 
uh, I have a big ego. And so I t- tend to think, oh, sure, I can figure that out. I'll, I'll, I'll be smart about that. Um, Brian invited me to do some shop floor tours and I did some others just kind of on my own from people I knew. And I'm like, wow, this is cool. People are making real stuff. This is, this is awesome. And, um, I figured that Brian Ellis and his brother, Adam had founded the business. They're like long-term manufacturing people. Mm-hmm. They had all the contacts and expertise. If I could help put an apparatus of business around that, then, um, then, I, then my lack of experience probably wasn't going to shine through as a problem so too far. Explain a little bit about the gap in the market and what Doc itself. And I gave a, a little intro, but for those who are less familiar with the space, what's the opportunity for Docket? Yeah, so we're very specific that we want to sell to mid-market manufacturers. And mid- middle market's obviously a huge can be a huge segment depending on how you identify it. We look at it things, you know, between one and 10 plants and maybe five to 500 million in revenue, you know, you know, make to order manufacturing. So people that are making stuff in custom quantities and custom orders. What's um, an example of that for some of uh, We have manufacturer that makes chairs. We have, okay. um, you know, people who make heating elements for semiconductors and commercial plumbing appliances. Um, you know, but they, but they, they don't, it's not like a chemical factory that makes the same thing the same quantity every day and the factory just kind of runs in linear fashion. So it's a more complex. Yes, yeah, more complex, more discreet. There's a lot of shifting. We've got to, you know, we've got to change the, this machine to make this. And we've got to move these people here to do this. And we're receiving this different quantity. So there's a lot of ins and outs and there's a constant movement of inventory levels and sales order priority and, and whatnot. And so we, 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 wanted, we wanted to sell in the mid-market and mostly because we see this big, this big trend around, you know, here buzzwords around industry 4.0. And, um, you know, this has moved to like automation and technology driven decision making inside of manufacturing plants. Those are, that's expensive to do that stuff. Mm-hmm. And so most mid market manufacturers can't afford the millions of dollars in investment to go make these massive changes. And so we, we, we set out to say, how can we get, how can we be at a price point that people can afford? give rapid value, so rapid consumption of value as one of our differentiator, meaning they buy our platform and it doesn't take a year to deploy, and help them incrementally move towards a industry 4.0 position. And so you know, we looked and said, the shop floor has been mostly forgotten in middle market. Mm-hmm. There's very little user-centric software. So there's a lot of or software at all, or right? software or software <laughs> at all, sure. But there's there's a lot of di- there's digital work instruction products and there's ERP tools that are built for the front office, and there's mobile screens to those. But the reality is very from from our perspective, um, very little product work's been done to say what does the industrial worker need to make their jobs better. How can it not be friction to them, but actually to 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 to, to create relief in how they do their job and give them a satisfaction of doing a better job. And so um, that's what we're doing. Our 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 product is all about. The industrial worker inside of manufacturing shop floors, um, you know, knowing exactly what they should do at all times, knowing exactly how to do that, getting through it in a more in a fast and more efficient way, and doing it with tools that that aren't that aren't burdensome, but actually, you know, are joy to use. Um, we do that you know, more specifically. It's a very kind of dynamic workflow product that's taking data from the ERP and and helping create priority around you know what needs to be done when, and then giving the users really clear instructions on how to do that. And it sounds like from everything you're saying, you're taking an audience first approach and when you guys are thinking about audience are you thinking about that end user on the shop floor are you thinking about decision makers in the c-suite are you trying to balance both it's super tricky right because i mean the c-suite and decision makers and frankly it are the buyers um so they're going to make the buying decisions the shop floor users are not not typically and maybe unfortunately are not going to be involved in the buying process Mm -hmm. but we want to make sure that our our brand promise is that their lives will be better, that they're, they, when they go to work, they will do a better job and they'll feel more satisfied by it. And then in doing that, we will give the 
original buyers of the application data and feedback and satisfaction that the shop floors were operating just a bit more efficiently. Right. Um, so it is tricky. So we're not, you know, as you know, we're not marketing. It's hard to go market to shop floor workers. They're not online buying software. So so we have to make sure we're sati- we're like staying true to that we're building user-centric software but we're selling to the selling to the front office and i think messaging and positioning was really important in our partnership what we worked on so far when we started working together it was just Bezalel. we didn't have a new brand name yet we didn't have any messaging no identity i think you were still kind of learning and yeah, understanding yeah. the business so that we could learn from you and i think when you talk about able you just jumped right into activity you started selling you tried to get as much traction as possible it's kind of the opposite, I think, of what happened with Bezlio to Docket type of journey. Yeah. And we really started with branding first before we built a website, before we built go to market, before you did a ton of sales activity, right? Or yeah, no, hundred percent. I mean, it's, it's it's literally been a different story. So at Able, it was fresh. We didn't have a lot of feedback. We didn't ha- we didn't we didn't know much about what we were going to be or who how we were going to operate as a company. It was a hunch and a great founding vision, and we're like, let's just go, just get feedback. The beautiful thing around Docket is that I mean, Bezlio spent five years and then 15 ish before that, the same group of people selling to this, these same customers, mid-market. So, mid, mid-market manufacturing. So, I mean, we, it's been this like accidental, incredible product story. I mean, we, there's all the feedback we can need. I mean, we, when we were, when we were thinking about exactly how we would build the product, we didn't need to go test it with a bunch of customers. There was years of feedback and Bezio had, you know, 50, 60, 70 customers already right. with their original product. That was somewhat similar, although a little bit, a little bit more um, just mobile screen focused. And so, I, I I decided to invest in people, so we brought in, put together a team of you know been there, done that entrepreneurial leaders, product, and so we you know we didn't we're not haven't built this product in a garage, you know we built it with real professional product engineering, and uh, and brand, and so we said we're we're gonna launch kind of surprise the market with there's this new entrant, you know this this new entrant, and we're gonna launch with a powerful brand, and I think we did just that for sure. I, I think so, yeah. We can share the details of that if we want to, but. I think it sounds like your takeaways from Able on eventually you got to that place where you were ready to rip the brand down to the studs, build a little bit more of a digital ecosystem. You got to jump a couple steps ahead because of Bezleo's foundation. Yeah, but it's but it's, it's but it's there's 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 fear in both both approaches. I mean, this right. one like I effectively spent a year without not, not doing any customer acquisition. I With mean, investing a lot. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean some. I mean, we 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 we've. We've certainly talked to a lot of customers, and we've you know we got five or six really early adopters to the platform, you know. But we're not, you know, we're, we're we have not in earnest and at scale started acquiring customers. But that that will change in like the next now. couple of days. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> now yeah. forget it. Our jobs. Yeah, right. Right. Um, and you guys recently raised four point five million, right? Where yes. does that investment go? Uh, it went into the things we talked about. It went into product. It went into brand, and it went into team. I mean, we're so it's we've we've kind of built the apparatus of what should be a great growth story, and we'll, we'll we will raise money again next year. I mean, we'll be back out. Let's do a fundraise. I mean, I think there's some people here helping me build a pitch deck, actually. So oh, we'll, yeah. yeah so nice. We'll, so we'll, we'll be back out to do a Things fundraise. I don't even know about yeah, around right, here. Right, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, we'll we'll be back out to raise. And I'll, we'll, you know, we have a great cap table, incredible investors today that are excited about the journey. And I think we'll have we'll have opportunity. And then there's, there's some folks um, that I've done business with previously in the venture world that I'd love to be part of the opportunity. And then there's some other funds that I think are kind of great targets for us. So we'll, we'll be out looking for capital to really kind of, you know, accelerate growth in the next couple months here. Get some gasoline on yeah. the fire. Yeah. How are you guys approaching product development moving forward? Obviously you've made some changes. We know internal lingo, there was gen one and now gen two, right? Yeah. Um, how's the product going to evolve? Are you guys keeping that at the forefront? Yeah. I mean, we have, so we, we're going to be a product company. I mean, there's, I, I've, 
you can be sales led, you can be product led, you can be a, a mixture of both. I think it certainly will be a mixture of both because we will take some risks on the sales side. And if you know, for Dominic and Peter, my product and um, engineering leaders, when you hear this, I'm sorry, but we, we 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 will take some risks on the sales side, and we'll probably what sales if no risks. Yeah, we'll, 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 um, but but we're but we're not we're going to try really hard not to star, starve the platform you know, to starve the platform, meaning that we don't want to be overrun with customer issues such that we can never focus on platform. Um, we have mm -hmm. a very robust and ambitious roadmap for 2024. Um, we're going to bring features around analytics and insights. Um, we're going to bring, you know, features around uh, reporting. We're going to bring features around um, the opportunity to dynamically you know, edit workflows. I mean, we're going to do some really exciting things that we think are going to make be very beneficial to customers. And so we'll, we are investing in those things, and we have a, 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 a very talented engineering team. Um, we've got um, we're, we've invested in product uh, already, and we're out telling people what that roadmap is. So we'll continue to do that, but we'll also be nimble and a little a little um, reserve the the opportunity to shift priorities a little bit on the fly here as we do get more customer feedback. Yeah, that makes sense to me. So from a marketing strategy perspective, obviously I know what the plan is to go to market, but. Can you share with the listeners what the marketing priorities are going to be? What channels are you guys going to lean into? How is it going to support the sales team? Yeah, I, I think that, um, I think I said earlier, brand is a differentiator. Really, I think creating brand that underscores your promise of value and then being true to that's important. So for me, we will continue to do a lot of thought leadership creation mm -hmm. towards the brand. Like we, we believe there's a massive problem. We've heard from others there's a massive problem, but we do have to educate some potential buyers about that problem. And so we're going to do a lot of thought leadership that's, you know, traditional blogs and podcasts and webinars, um, webinars and whatnot. And we're going we're gonna to try to get ourselves into as many channels as possible because we've, we've kind of been a hidden company for the past two years. Mm -hmm. And um, we don't know all those channels. We're not in the, you know, the mix of all of the right LinkedIn groups or going to all the right conferences. So there, there'll be a lot of that just to get the brand out there, position ourselves as a, as a, as an as a, a solution to a growing problem, you know, define the problem and better um, and just do a lot of thought leadership. So I think we're going to do some market making activities. Um, that's like we'll, we'll invest heavily there, and then just tr frankly, I mean, demand generation. I mean, we need, you know, we are gonna we'll have salespeople that are prospecting, 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 but we need marketing to support that with like being in front of people when they want to make a decision, getting messaging out there over and over and over again, giving avenues for, for you know for for lead generation. Um, we'll do that, you know, like, again, I think a lot in partnership with with Vividfront. We'll we'll, we'll do a lot of that this year as well. Um, I also I had this. Um, I've been really interested lately. In the notion of velocity versus quality mm. um, on the marketing front, curious uh, where you lean. Yeah, uh, not 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 so much, not not to, not to not have great quality, but to do more, to mm -hmm. do it faster, to not always have the most perfect curated LinkedIn posts, but to like just go faster a bit. And so, I'm sure there's a place for you know Google Ads and to you know you know try to constantly be manipulating the algorithms. But I I also think there's like let's just do a lot. I think that there's a there's kind of this convergence in consumer mark, consumer product marketing, and like B two B marketing that I think we should lean into a bit. Yes. Um, and I, you know, I'm so I'm, I'm kind of I'm just starting to kind of push and see the feedback of all the folks involved in marketing with us around. I, I saw something the other day like we would do two LinkedIn posts a week, and I said, well, what if we did ten a day? <laughs> like, yeah. like what? Like what if we just went faster? Like what? What if? Um, and you know, sure, maybe we'll miss the right a period in the right place, and maybe we'll say something a little controversial, you know. But like, we shouldn't we want our customers to believe that we're like at the forefront of the thought leadership in this this world? And also, shouldn't we try to capture the mind share as much as possible? So, lot lots to figure out there. That's that's some more of a experimental stuff. But I think we'll do a lot of traditional thought leadership, 
traditional demand generation and then maybe start to test velocity a little bit more i think the brand voice is certainly powerful like we're making big claims we mm-hmm. came out of the gates with really punchy messaging which is probably new to the space a yeah. little bit um, a little bit foreign taglines know what's next do it right like yeah. confident powerful simple short name same thing we had a lot of name storming to land on that one yeah but i think the position that you guys are taking is definitely unique in the space and i love what you're talking about the intersection of perfection and progress i think we go through a lot of that on the agency side trying to coach clients because everyone needs something a little bit different yeah but if you let perfection be the enemy of progress and you spend too much time highly tailoring the brand, it actually starts to become inauthentic, and you can't reach and that. And, you're, and you're paralyzed. I mean, the, you know, if you, if you, if, if, I mean, if you if you overthink it, you just become paralyzed, and you might might not make a decision. Right. And testing so powerful. We know that if we yeah. don't get enough quantity, enough statistical significance of who's interacting with content, if there's one post a month, you're never going to understand what works and what resonates. So, I think um, quantity is good. Yeah, we 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 just did some work. Um, you know, building out our core values. I know, you, I know Vivid Front's really big on core values as well. Big, building out our core values. And it's not just about, I was think, I've been thinking a lot about this. It's not just about the people we hire, but it's about the partners we partner with mm-hmm. and the approach we take to things. And um, I think it's, it's uh, we, we need to go fast. And our customers need to know that about us. Like, I'm on a, we're unapologetically a startup. I'm not, we're not trying to hide the fact. Yeah, like, I, I would I, you. I'm not, you know, hopefully we'll put, a, we'll put a billboard on a building downtown in 10 years. But right now we're a startup. I mean, yeah. we're, we're in the annex of a little build. We might be able to work that out. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> you know, we, we, we want to go fast. And we want our customers to know we're going fast for their benefit. That's the, that's the whole point. Yeah, totally agree. You guys have worked with, or you in general, have worked with a bunch of marketers, in-house, outsource. Obviously, you're working with us. And I'm putting you in the hot seat a little bit, but I want you to share completely openly. What are the experiences you've had, pros and cons of in-source versus outsource? What do you think about agencies versus in-house? Okay, so I think I share with you when we first met, I don't know, I don't know, maybe a year or so ago, yeah, that. Um, that I had a fairly healthy disrespect for marketing agencies. Mm-hmm. Um, not be- My favorite challenge yeah, as a salesperson. Uh, um, uh, and, you know, and I stole that that phrase, healthy disrespect, from my, my buddy Chris Snyder, because uh, he and I, you know, have gone back and forth over the years about what to insource versus what to outsource, what's core versus context. You know, I, I did not expect to take an agency route here at Docket. I expected to hire one internal marketing generalist and then backfill that with like as much fractional resourcing as we could. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly because I just didn't generally generally don't believe that the early stages marketing agencies were really committed to ha- to understanding you enough to have the context to help you make decisions. Like mm-hmm. if I just need a piece of de- creative made, sure. We need a one pager made, sure. But I, I I just I liked you guys a lot. I thought you were fairly authentic. I loved the fact that we're here in Cleveland and the same fighting for the same benefits in the same ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, let's give it a shot. Let's see, like, because you guys when we when we first first did the pitches, it just came across really genuine, and it wasn't like it wasn't like here's their package and you have to fit in this, and we're gonna nickel and dime you beyond that. So the experience with Viverfront has been unique in that it feels like you guys are part of our team. I mean, we're in Slack together. Uh, we're like. We're like openly solving problems together. Um, it felt like a super collaborative process in building the brand. You know, when we when we talk about how big we are, we we, we talk about the names of people at Viverfront that work on our on our on our stuff. I mean, you guys are hopefully stopping by for a drink at our holiday party later. I mean, yeah. like it's it feels um, it feels like there's connection there. Now, a lot of that's because we're in Cleveland. It's a small ecosystem. Mm-hmm. You, you guys are trying to make headway there. I think we're we're a good opportunity for success. We've all been committed to the partnership. So that that said, I've also had tremendous experience insourcing some of these things. I right. mean, I mean, I, I, I you know, I've, I hired incredible 
I was fortunate enough to hire an incredible CMO at, at Able, and um, he, he, he did wonderful things for us. He led, we paused our brand refresh before we hired him, um, and then he came in and kind of led us and you know probably iterated it 20% in a, in a better, more, more progress-oriented direction. So I think there's pros and cons of both. Um, you know, when we were a much larger, scalable engine, we might need less of the day-to-day super partnership and more like just you know, run these operations perfectly. Um, for right now, it's been, been great. Yeah, we always say that our, like, eventually we want our startups to grow so big that you have to fire us and bring somebody right. in I mean, house. That, or right, we yeah. do one little part and they're running strategy. I think that's how our model scales. Well, I mean, that's 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 the that's the beauty. That's that's what you, sh- as a professional service pro- provider, you should do that. And, the, yeah. and the, the people who don't believe that are the ones that get lost. Because right. if, you, if you just create, if you make me be so dependent on you, that I can, you can never leave. Well, that just creates resentment along the way. Mm-hmm. It never works. And ne- it never, it never, it never works. And, and like, and overall, like people forget why this relationship started. And your people will change, and our people will change, and it'll just, it'll just become a challenge. So. Well, I think just to serve back the compliment, I wasn't fishing for compliments, but I'm glad we got one. I think that from the agency side, we have tons of different client relationships, and most of them are are really fantastic. Some don't pan out, and I think the reason some don't work and we can't have that synergy is because they don't have somebody at the helm who understands their values marketing to the degree that you guys do. I think from the day that we engaged, you brought in your entire team. Like everybody was part of the name storm. Everybody was part of going through messaging, poking holes in one another's approach in a healthy way. From day one, it wasn't a siloed effort. It wasn't just us sitting down with the CEO who doesn't know anything about marketing. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, I don't know anything about marketing. You do. <laughs> so, so I had to. I mean, we got you know Greg Gortz and John Carpenter, and you know we've got some wonderful people on our team that you know I wanted. I, the, so, one of the other reasons to, to, for the rebrand was that none of us were here when the brand Bezio was created. It's mm-hmm. a wonderful, beautiful brand, and they did a great job. But that was a long time ago. And if I want to build a startup and I'm asking people to give me a bunch of years of their life towards an endeavor that's going to make people lots of money. Um, and I want to build passion around it. I need them to be emotionally connected. Buy-in. And so I need, and like, it's not just, I mean, customers are at the forefront of brand, but like I wanted my employees to be ex- proud of it. Before I came over here, we opened our first box of swag and like looked at the t-shirts. I had the docket brand on it. That's, that's pretty badass. It was a pretty, mm-hmm. pretty fun moment. So um, I needed the team to be bought in. And so I needed, you know, it, I think I actually liked one of the names and names from better than Docket, if, if I remember correctly. And then, you know, as a team, we... Like, I won't flex yeah. who came up with Docket, <laughs> yeah. but someone yeah. really smart. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> anyway, I, I, I think it's um it's all a partnership right now. Yeah, agreed. So I think that dovetails really well into the EOS side of things because you're talking about core values. We're talking about cultural alignment. For us, as I'm running through our core values in our head, you guys perfectly align with them. Entrepreneurial spirit's a big one for us. So that's why we have a lot of startup mm-hmm. clients. Fostering flow. So figuring out what's flow state for us versus what's flow state for you. Let's not disrupt that. Like you guys focus on what you do best. Let us focus on what we do best. Team first. We're going at this from a team perspective, leading with empathy. Those are where we start and end. Did you guys develop your values? Have you landed on them? We did. Yeah. So you want to to hear? Yeah. Um, This is my first intro. Yeah. So, and it's funny because I just did an EOS session the other day. Great people. And they have, you know, the, the table six values, the typical, you know, honesty and integrity. Mm -hmm. And like, and you just saw like when you, when I went through the room and we talked about them a bit, we were going to refresh and we talked about it a bit. You could see how it frankly just kind of falls a little flat. And so um, when I share with them where we landed on our values and it's how it isn't just kind of buzzwords, like you could see aha moments, which was exciting because when we did it, it was aha moments. So oh, first yeah. is we're force multipliers. So you have to make everyone else around you better. You have to show up making people around you better. That That is a requirement to be part of our world. It's part- partners, employees, you know, whatnot. You, 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 you have to deliver outsized value in ways beyond just beyond just you know money we're obsessed with growth um and that's that's kind of a 
obvious one in entrepreneurship, but it means we, we grow with intention. Mm -hmm. So it isn't just, um, big chaotic, go, you know, move forward just for the sake of moving forward. It's unapologetically accelerative. Um, but, 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 but intentional about growth. Like we're going to move forward in all cases. Like if you're joining us, if you're partnering with us, it's about growth, about progress. Uh, and the third is we are premium, um, we deliver premium products, premium experiences, premium services. <laughs> and it isn't, one of the beauties of the way you do this in the EOS world isn't an individual value that's the differentiator because plenty of people are obsessed with growth. It's the combination of all three together yeah. that, that make that, that differentiate you. You know, so we are a group of people uh, attempting to deliver the best products and the, the most premium experiences um, while growing a business in a responsible but 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 um, fast way and making everyone else around us is better better. Um, uh, not not just the person sitting across from me, but everyone part of the story better. It's feel, it feels big and bold and. It could probably could not more highlight what I've wanted from a team in my, 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 my journey. So it feels great. Wow. I love that. I think those really resonate. I agree. They're not hallmark, you know, yeah. stickers on the wall. And you talked about seeking partners. Obviously you seek to grow a team that has those values. I think some of those could also trickle into customers, believe it or not. Like yeah. that's the, the kind of impact that you guys are looking to drive with these mid-market manufacturers is they have to be able to grow and they have to, have a positive impact and have a premium product that they're putting together. So I think there's some yeah, overlap. We, we did this exercise at Able in which we, and I'll shout out to Alan Brenner, who's a brilliant mind locally as a board member and investor in a lot of companies here. And you know, he, he really taught us to think about selling to sophisticated buyers. Like mm -hmm. there are people who won't buy our solution, not because they don't need it, because they don't really want it. They don't really want to change. They don't really want to grow. And that's okay. And it's, it's okay to, to, not fight those battles. You know, Greg Gortz, who leads go-to-market for us at Docket, he, he's he been very intentional about who the first, we call them beta customers are. Like we, we, we're looking through our customer list, talking to the leads that come in, like who are the first people that will really get this? And, and it, it will actually have meaningful value for them. They want to grow. They want mm -hmm. to deliver something premium. Um, so I, I didn't even realize he just said it like it, it is. And we've, we've, we've been accidentally or maybe not accidentally, but, 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 but seeking, yeah. you know, subconsciously seeking, um, our initial customers, um, you know, that, 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 that meet those same behavior points, same values. Yeah. I love that. Are you guys fully implemented on EOS? Yeah. Uh, we, 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 uh, we, fully implemented is an interesting term. Yes. We're through <laughs> our implementation. We're into the running quarterlies, but we have a lot, a lot to learn. Okay, cool. Are you self-implementing? So not, no. for those listening, he's an EOS implementer newly since the summer, right? Yeah. I'm an EOS implementer. Um, I have a very small practice, six or seven clients. It's not a, not a full-time gig for me at all. at all. It's meant to keep me sharp and, uh, I will starve mentally if I can't have my hands in other things. I need to like be out in front of and meet other businesses and see other stuff. And um, so I, you know, I, I do that always anyway. This just helps me formalize how I do it and box in how I do it such that I'm not meandering through a mm -hmm. bunch of different um, experiences. Uh, no, but I'm not. I wanted, to, I wanted to participate in the process in a pure way. And so uh, Chris Snyder is doing our implementation. He's a local EOSI. He's got you know, hundreds and hundreds of sessions under his belt. And so he's doing, he's doing our implementation. He exhibits those values as well, which is, important, which is important to me. And, and you guys work together we, a long we time. We co-founded business together. Yeah. And um, uh, you know, he's been a mentor of mine for many years. And so I sit in the room with the team going through the, flipping through the leadership team manual from, from, from the EOS leadership team manual, just like everyone else does. Well, I, you talked about a couple of times having a big ego, but I think if you're doing that, you, you're stripping it back and you're really I mean, leveling listen, Yeah, but it's hard. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like, like At least I, he's it, honest. Yeah, it's, it's I, I mean, come on. Everyone who knows me who's listened to this probably rolled their eyes a couple of times. Like, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's, it's hard. I have a huge ego. I just do. It's, I mean, you know, I was having breakfast with a friend the other day talking about he had a, 
this fight with his wife. His wife called him controlling. And he said, do you think I'm controlling? I said, yeah, of course you're controlling. Like, yes, you are. Like, you're building businesses. Gotta be you a mirror have, to your yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you've, like, you've got, like, four businesses you're building. And yes, you're controlling. Like, is it to a detriment? Possibly, like, that. You have to. that's where you have to figure out how to pull back on it. But, like, it's hard to, like decide i mean you know how much ego it takes to say i'm gonna go build a business that you know doesn't exist right now and try to create a economy that doesn't exist yeah that's yeah. that's that's a controlling egotistical thing and maybe it's just me finding the place for those bad parts of me to to like live or like maybe it's like that's what you need to kind of build stuff but I, i'm working hard on it all the time um but yeah i have a big ego and certainly certainly need to be checked often well i'm a big self-awareness valuer that's like my core value if mm -hmm. i had to pick one for me separate from our vivid values and i think um Self-awareness personally is obviously important if you're going to develop a team and, and all those things. Self-awareness on the business is important. Yeah. you got to be able to look at it with eyes wide open. So I think uh, whether you think it's a flaw or not, it's it's good that you're self-aware. Yes, I think what you said is wonderful because you can have an ego and you can believe you're great, but walking around with a superiority complex and projecting that on everyone else is different. That's 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 a narcissist. That's a narcissist, right? And that's, that's, yeah. unhealthy, that's unhealthy. And I, I, think, I think the businesses we build here in Cleveland – have that Midwestern grit spirit that usually that usually isn't the truth. So totally agree. Yeah. Well, we're gonna round out. Um, I think that there's a lot to take away from this episode about obviously being an entrepreneur, about leaning into brand and marketing, about the SaaS space, manufacturing space, talent and culture. To me, culture drives revenue, and I think you're leaning on that. What is next for Docket? How are you planning to build and scale the culture? How are you planning to build and scale the product? What's the vision? We have built products we have built and released brand we have done a bunch of testing we have gotten early customers and now it's time to go to market i mean we are running a you know we are we are running a full-fledged recruiting process to add selling talent you know quota carrying salespeople. um we're carefully thinking about how we'll add customer success folks we have um uh, a product roadmap that we're really excited about for next year we've formalized our cto to join us full-time in january which is just nice that's phenom huge. phenomenal win and the business is, is is ready to be out there. I mean, we we pulled back the curtain. Time to scale, and we're you know we're managing ourselves against high expectations from a from a from a performance perspective. Got great premium people ready to deliver on that, and, and away we go. The the docket is no longer hiding you know behind the curtain for everyone to figure out what it is. Like we're we're out, we're ready to go. Do you have an exit strategy in mind, or are you just rolling with the punches? Build a big special business. That's the exit strategy. I mean, of course, you know we talk at a board level about the possibilities, but. You know, I'm asking people to give me four to seven to ten years of their precious time, and you know we're going to be extremely open-minded, eyes wide open about the opportunities. And we're going to try to build a big special business. That's the goal. And maybe it does, I mean, listen, it's a startup, and startups inherently have huge risks. So maybe it doesn't work, but like we're going to have done it and feel like we did it the right way, and there wasn't any secret. And we were super transparent, and um, you know we'll, we'll we'll look for opportunities and be opportunistic when we need to. But we're, right now, it's just heads down, build a, build a big special business, deliver on the brand promise, give employees a great place to live and have really super happy customers. Know what's next, do it right. That's right. All right, well, I look forward to having you back soon in our new studio, and we can start to share a case study on how all the marketing's working <laughs> yeah, and all right. the good results, and we can cheers and all those good things. Um, but as we wrap up, can you just let our listeners know where they can find you if they want to connect on the EOS side, where they can find Docket? Yeah, I mean, LinkedIn. I'm So Gerald Hetrick on LinkedIn, uh, usedocket.com. I was super excited to find a .com. Mm -hmm. Big uh, domain guy. Yeah, yeah, big domain guy. <laughs> you, you do own a domain lot of domain. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> usedocket.com. Um, you can send me an, uh, an email at gerald at usedocket.com. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm always on LinkedIn and you can probably find me at 
many local pubs multiple times a month. Favorite one? Different Leave clues. us with your favorite. Masthead Brewing Company. All right. Uh, I think I knew that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much, Cheryl. Thank you. Thanks, guys. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Now it's time to start making moves. Head to vividfront.com slash marketing moves for exclusive marketing materials. Every episode, we add more of our greatest insider secrets to help you move towards success. See you next time.